Hi there, and welcome to the Engage Customer Podcast. Our mantra is that organisations need to be where their customers are, cutting across internal silos and taking a more holistic view, delivering a consistent service across all channels, offline, online, social and mobile. For over a decade, we've helped some of the world's biggest brands engage with their target customers on a deeply emotional level with industry-leading conferences and online digital media. To find out more, visit engagecustomer.com. In this episode, we hear from Andy Harrison, Vulnerable Consumers Lead at Fidelity International. Andy has always worked to provide good outcomes for customers and currently focuses on the company's approach to supporting customers in vulnerable situations. We speak to Andy about what it's like to work at Fidelity International and more about recent projects and future plans. Let's just start with the traditionals. Hi, who are you? Where are you from? What are you focused on? Yes, thank you. Uh, So I'm Andy Harrison and I'm the Vulnerable Consumers Lead at Fidelity International. So for anybody who doesn't know Fidelity, Fidelity is an investment and pensions company, um, global, so started in America and has an international arm, which I'm part of, which serves customers in the UK and Germany and Japan, all over Asia. Um, And we, yeah, provide ISAs and self-invested pensions and workplace pensions as well. So some of you may have a pension with Fidelity, you may have ISAs, other products, you may have none, that's fine. Okay, cool. So vulnerability, how do you recognise that in a customer and what do you mean by vulnerability? So I think you mentioned this before, actually, Martin. The FCA has done some great work on vulnerability. So the FCA is the financial services regulator. um, And they've been working on vulnerability for about eight years now. And I'm going to give you their definition. And bear with me a second, because this is going to sound like a really regulatory definition. But I'll kind of break it down as well. So the FCA's definition of vulnerable customer is someone who, due to their personal circumstances, is especially susceptible to detriment. Yep. particularly when a firm's not acting with appropriate levels of care. I told you it was really regulatory, right? But there are two nice distinct elements to it. So the first one is someone who, due to their personal circumstances, and, and that's where the beauty is because it's nuanced. It could be anything. We all have lives, and in our lives, things are happening. So when the customer's interacting with us, they're not interacting with us in a bubble, they're not interacting with us in a vacuum. They're interacting with us in their life. The argument that they've just had with their partner over who's making this call might be very real, ringing in their ears. The kids might be playing up in the background. They might be dealing with a bereavement. They might be dealing with a health issue. All of that stuff's happening whilst they're interacting with us. And so it can be anybody, because these are just normal things that happen to lots and lots of people, and all of us will experience something which will cause us difficulty one way or another. That could be physical, mental health. It could be all sorts. So that's the first part of it. And then the detriment bit is they just can't do what we need them to do. So whatever our process is, whether it's fill out a form, provide us with the paperwork, they might not be able to do that because of their personal situation. Or they might not be able to make a decision in their own best interest because they don't understand the product or they don't understand the consequences of the decision they're about to make. The second part of that is very nuanced. And this is about when a firm's not acting with appropriate levels of care. And I think it seems quite obvious to think that if we're not acting with levels of care, that might be a problem. But typically, that might be an error. And whenever you make an error, that's going to be bad. And errors will happen. But this might just be that the design of the product or service is not quite right. So we design a product and a service. Let's say we've got um, an account access process. We've all been through this, right? So you get a call from a company, or you make a call to a company, 
and they start asking you for your ID information, what's your name, date of birth, postcode, yep. first line of address, all that, and they might ask you some account information. And you might not know that account information because you haven't memorized your account number, it's 10 digits long, who does that? So you pick up a piece of paper with it on and you read it out off the piece of paper. If you've got a visual impairment, you've got sight loss, you're not going to be able to do that. So for that individual, because of their circumstances, that might not be possible for them. That's not an error, that's just the way the process is designed. So by not having the appropriate level of care in design, you can cause a problem. They had a, because I've read it quite recently, and they had a, they've got a great thing where they actually do uh, bad and good examples, don't they? And, and one that comes to mind, uh, which is actually makes the whole thing really quite interesting and challenging, was a lady who'd been asked to act as a guarantor, I think, for her son alone that he took out and unfortunately didn't manage to pay it back. And she suddenly found herself liable for something like £6,000. Um, and, of course, it emerged in the, in the due diligence of investigating that case that they, the, the firm in question really hadn't worked hard enough at establishing was she cognitively capable of understanding what she was undertaking. And, of course, what the exam question then says, duty of care, is you've got to have some way of, of either profiling or, indeed, in the context of that co co uh, conversation, establishing the truth of the reality um, of, of the person. And when I went through all of that, it got me much more sensitized to you know, not just extrapolating the world as a function of, well, everyone's kind of like Martin, really, aren't they? Which is a very lazy thing that we all do. But actually going, that's a fundamentally different situation that person's living in. Uh, and I wondered how they would be dealt with. And what we've, I suppose, said is bad luck if you can't. But what the FCA is really saying and getting us to rise up to is, no, that's not an acceptable thing. Mm -hmm. And the definition somewhere in the middle of that also says you can actually cause damage to, doesn't it? And that's a very powerful statement to say that our insensitivity is positively harmful. I think that's their language, isn't it? Exactly that, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So by virtue of that definition, have you seen more or less people <laughs> in your market fit that category? Or is it even Stevens at the moment? I don't think... I don't think you see more, but you could make somebody vulnerable, right? So you could change a process, and by changing that process, you could disadvantage a group of people with very specific characteristics. And if you okay. do that, then you made them vulnerable by your poor design of your process, or at least unthoughtful design uh, of process. So you could make people vulnerable. But generally speaking, because these are real human experiences that, that everybody will go through, I mean, you know, some of the things like life events, Retirement, we're a pensions company, right? yeah, yeah. so people retire in every day with our company. And you go overnight, potentially, depending on how you do your retirement, but you could go overnight. Your entire way of life changes. What you do with your day, how you structure your day, where your money comes from and how you use it, overnight that changes. And so whilst most people celebrate the day of their retirement... Actually. Yeah, some people <laughs> will struggle with the after effects of yes. that, and that might affect their decision-making they might take a lump sum, decide to go and spend that, and, and people become really susceptible to scams at this point, right? Yeah. So you get yeah. people going, hey, yeah. Yeah. invest a lot of money with us in crypto and we'll make you triple digit returns or whatever. So they get vulnerable because they don't know what to do with it. They don't understand the decisions they need to make and they need help with that. And then that can be a really negative experience for people because they're struggling and they don't know the, the, the consequences of the decision that they need to make next 
So they need a lot of help with that. So yeah, that's where advice comes in. But advice is quite expensive and some people don't see the value of it. So if you're saying, do you want to hand over £2,000 for a piece of advice? You might think that seems like quite a lot of money. Mm. But the reality of that is, is a failure to do that could cost you tens of thousands over the next 20 or 30 years that you live in retirement. And that could be the difference between living comfortably for 20 or 30 years and living frugally for that decades, yeah. literal yeah. decades. Yeah. So that's quite difficult. So do we see it more? No, because I think everybody's potentially vulnerable at any time. But of course, that doesn't mean that everybody needs something different from a company. We don't all need something different. Most of the time, I mean, we design on 80-20 principles. I'm sure you've all heard of that. Mm. Firstly, I would question whether it always is 80-20. So what's the evidence base behind the fact that it's 80 is probably a key thing. But secondly, it's like, well, what do you do with the 20? They're still your customers. You have to do something with them. You can't just say, nah, you can't have your money. We'll have, we're going to keep that. So we have to do something with them. So designing that, making sure that they can still access their money in, in a different way, using a different process is really important. So we don't see everybody needing something different. It's quite no. a small proportion of people. Let's talk about that 20%, because yep. I think that's the other interesting thing that the FCA says, and that is you just don't chuck them over the edge. Yeah, exactly. Yeah? They talk about flexibility. Uh, and many times, particularly with, with customer service, which, let's face it, is a tough thing for us to do, right? We have to get a rhythm going, a round of a pattern, you know, get, get, get your game on and do it in a certain sort of a way. Otherwise, it just doesn't scale. And that gets us to be blind, I guess, to that 20%. So in your world, how do you recognize uh, those, those types of situations and types of customers mm -hmm. That, for whatever good reason, I mean, email, for example, in financial services tends not to be popular, does it? You know, for reasons of security, understandably so. And so you might end up by going, hey, it's all about messaging, or hey, it's all about something, which just doesn't suit that customer for whatever reasons. Yeah. How do you ride outside your process? Um, I mean, what role do you have? Are you sheriff in that? Or do you teach people to be flexible and agile and cross your fingers? Or how do you actually build that flexibility in? So I'm the what if guy. Okay. So, so they come to me and they say, right, okay, we're going to design this and it's going to work this way. And I say, okay, tell me about it. Tell me how it works. If I'm a customer, talk me through the journey. And then as they go through it, I'm saying, well, what if I can't? Or what if I don't know? Right. Or where do I get that? And so the what ifs and the where do I and how do I, that creates the, oh, okay, well, if you can't, then what? Because mm -hmm. if there's no then what, if there's no answer to that, then we're not good enough. We have to have a then what, which it, we, it can be an escalation process, right? I mean, yeah. you know, we've, got to, we've all got to deliver operational efficiency. And the bigger your organization, the more transactions you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis. And you have to do them cost-effectively. Otherwise, you put your prices through the roof sure. and nobody's going to come and buy you product. So you have to do that. But you also have to recognize that not everything's going to fit in that model. So you, so you sort of tier it as much as possible goes through quickly and efficiently, ideally without any touch points. Then your next bit is, okay, what if they can't do that? We have to direct them towards something. So it might be a plan B process, which might be called the contact center, for example, might be the answer. And then you can make a decision about it with the individual. And then you'll have some cases that are the edge cases, which are really more complex. And if you put somebody down a process that doesn't work for that, you can actually put people in danger. So I'm thinking of people who are in significant distress. We do, from time to time, have people who are having suicidal thoughts. 
yeah. and express those in their desperation to access finances that they might not be able to access pensions, for example. You can't always get access to that un until you're 55 and over. So things like that mean we can't really help. And if you're desperate, you're in that situation. So we then force somebody down a process that doesn't work for them and that can become quite dangerous. The same with people who are in domestic abusive relationships and they're trying yeah. to leave that situation. If we follow our normal process and that can send a control letter out for a change of address and it notifies the, the abuser that that person's interacting with their account intending to leave. These can be really dangerous so we have to go up the pyramid so that individual cases that are complex get individual decisions made okay. and we can't be afraid of that. We don't want that touch, that heavy touch on all of our cases. We can't do that, it doesn't make sense but we also can't put everything through a process because once you directed it into a bad process, you did that. Whereas if it went to a process that was bad anyway, and you've yep. got a route out, that's sort of acceptable because you've designed it that way. If you force somebody into a cul-de-sac that's just as bad, but you thought it was good, then you did that, and that's difficult. So when you get asked, how well have we done on vulnerability this year? Yeah. How do you evidence that? Um, after I've hid for a bit and sweated, no. Um, <laughs> Do you know what? It's really difficult, actually. I think, I think we talk about progress a lot. So we capture the initiatives that we've done. We talk about the projects we've supported and the outcomes that we've improved. And we have to have some level of data to evidence what we've done. And we're, as Fidelity, we're not great at that at the minute. That's the area we're probably most behind on, and we're catching up. So data about how we're providing good outcomes. But what I can show is I can show the cases, and the case studies are really important. Because some of the stuff that I've... You know, some of the examples that I've alluded to already are real examples. You know, these things are happening mm. and these are customers mm. we're supporting. And you know that if you can't intervene and you can't be flexible with the process or you can't find a different way to get them to that same outcome, then they're going to come to harm. But assuming you had all the tech you wanted and magic wand and all mm. the rest of it, have you thought through in your head how you would recognise that? I mean, for example, on those instances where it's been difficult and we've had to do it, are you recognising that through know, anecdotal agent feedback or is it captured in call recording and you've trawled through that and you've found the characteristics? How do you work out how much is going through the system and how often you, you manage to recognise it, respond to it well or possibly even just miss? Yeah, it's all of that and, and we still have a lot more to do. So yes, we pick up on, we have speech analytics on the, on the calls. So every call that comes in, we can pick up certain phrases and okay. words that are used and that can tell us roughly how many interactions or what proportion of our interactions are potentially vulnerable customers. And if we have words like suicide or, or yeah. abuse, we can pick up that and get Alerts. that looked at and make sure that it's been escalated appropriately and it's been dealt with and supported by the right people. But we also have to have manual uh, escalation. So in the moment, somebody can escalate and we put that onto a database so that we can track it's being worked through. And again, mm. the right resource mm. and the right people are assigned to it and that it's moving forward and again actually thinking about our people as well because it's not just about the distress on customers in some of those really complex situations it's actually can be really difficult to deal with by our, our staff and so making sure that the support and individuals are not left to make decisions that are way way above what they're being paid to make and, yeah. and actually they're just humanity right a level of if you make a decision that potentially is life or death for somebody you don't want to be doing that in isolation you want to be doing that as it, in committee yes. with people who are senior and experts to, to give you advice. So we, we've got tracking ways to do that. But these are all just largely when people tell us things. And not everyone wants to tell us things, but they still might need help. 
So we have to also think about how we can identify patterns of transactions that might indicate a vulnerability, okay. and we don't, we're not there yet. Right. And, and actually, it's quite difficult for an individual organization, even one like ours, we've got you know, about a million customers. With that million customers, if only 5% of them, and it's probably less, disclose a vulnerability, that's not tens of thousands of records, and it's certainly not hundreds of thousands of records, which is what you really need to train an, a, a machine learning algorithm. So as an industry, we might be able to have that data, and maybe we can anonymize it and pull it together and then understand the patterns of transactions, like are people failing to log in online a lot? Are they generating one-time passcodes? Are they changing their details? Are they making you know, deposits? Are they making withdrawals? What does that look like as a behavior pattern? And what, where does that tell us that these people who were vulnerable did similar patterns? Have a look at these people and see if they need any help. So in reality, it's still quite difficult to capture what the FCA is saying, give us the characteristics of. To some extent, but again, most people that want help are going to tell you. That's what we found. Okay. You know, and Ask. actually, we've asked our customers <laughs> yeah. whether they feel comfortable telling us. And so you see, I've seen some research that says about 3% of customers felt comfortable telling an organization about vulnerability. But that's research done in the abstract because it's done by a research organization and it meant any company. Yeah. And, but when you ask your customers, do you feel comfortable telling us, about 50 50. Okay. And that gives me a lot of comfort that more people will tell us when they need us. Yeah. But what they will tell us about is interesting. So what will they will tell us about is they will tell us about a bereavement because they probably need us to do something. They'll tell us about a divorce because they probably need us to do something. And they'll tell us about something like dementia. Right. And so that was quite interesting. Other things, less so, but still about 50-50 would tell us if they needed any help. Interesting, interesting. Listen, I'm afraid to say we're out of time because we could continue the conversation. Thank you so much. That's been really, really useful. Well, appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.